Iran hits targets in Pakistan with missiles and drones. The U.S. is expected to redesignate Iranian-backed Houthi rebels as global terrorists. The entire world rejects wholesale uh, the idea that a group like the Houthis can basically hijack the world. And an unlikely refugee from the war in Ukraine. A rare Asiatic bear arrives at his new home in Scotland. We weren't entirely sure if he'd be kind of experiencing something similar to, to like the PTSD, but he does seem to be, from what I saw anyway, when he arrived, he seems to be quite confident. Today is Wednesday, January 17th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I'm Scott Walterman. Iran fired missiles and drones into Pakistan, saying it hit two bases belonging to a Sunni separatist militant organization. It comes on the heels of similar strikes in Iraq and Syria. VOA's Heather Murdoch reports from Istanbul with Alana Khoi in the village of Mala Omar, outside of Brill in Iraq's Kurdistan region. Nearly every home in the village of Mala Omar is damaged following Monday night's Iranian attack. Missiles landed just 400 meters from these homes on the outskirts of Erbil in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. Residents here say they don't know why the area would be attacked, but as violence in the region increases, families here fear their lives are in danger. Iranian attacks have happened here in the past, but they were farther away from us. We are now afraid because it's so much closer. We were scared and we are worried that these attacks may happen again here. Iran says the Monday evening attacks on Syria and Iraq were targeting terrorist groups and Israeli intelligence. Officials in Iraq say there were no militant or foreign intelligence bases among the targets, where missile strikes killed four people and wounded at least six others. Iran says it also hit Islamic State targets in Syria in retaliation for a bombing in Kerman, Iran, that killed nearly 100 people early this month. Local officials in Syria say an unused medical clinic was hit, according to the Associated Press. In Mala Omar, locals say the conflict in the Middle East appears to be expanding well beyond the fight between Israel and Hamas. And there is rising concern that there will soon be no safe place to hide from the war. The people who live here are civilians and are busy with our lives and work. We are not close to bases or units of any military. I don't understand why we've been targeted. U.S. officials in Iraq call the attacks reckless, saying they would undermine Iraq's stability. Heather Murdoch in Istanbul with Halan Akoy in Mala Omar in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. VOA News. Yemen's Houthi militia group has attacked another ship in the Gulf of Aden. Iran's supreme leader is encouraging the Houthis to continue attacking ships, threatening to further exacerbate tensions in the region. Here's VOA's Edward Urarian 
in Cairo. Yemen's Houthis attacked a Maltese-flagged vessel in the Gulf of Aden Tuesday following a rash of attacks on international shipping in recent days. Iran's Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei, who supports the Houthis, urged them to continue their attacks. Yahya Saria, spokesman for the Houthis' military forces, said they would continue attacking U.S. and British ships and seek revenge for U.S. and British attacks on their forces in recent days. He says that the Houthis' naval forces carried out an attack targeting a U.S. ship in the Gulf of Aden using sea missiles and resulting in a direct and precise hit. He says that the Houthis consider all U.S. and British ships legitimate enemy targets after they targeted Yemen and that no new attack will go without a response. Yemeni analyst Salah al-Ragbar told Sky News Arabia that Iran is trying to assert that the Red Sea is a vital waterway to it and that it can close both the Red Sea and the Strait of Hormuz during a conflict if the need should arise. Mirdad Khansari, a London-based Iranian analyst and former diplomat, tells VOA that Tehran is not capable of closing either the Red Sea or the Strait of Hormuz and that it is just using rhetoric for propaganda purposes. He argues that the Houthis are a useful proxy, but mostly a diversion from more important Iranian assets like Hezbollah. Iranians, while they are cautious not to escalate the combat in a way that would involve them or their primary proxy group, Hezbollah, they see the Houthis as a vehicle for increasing pressures on the world community without actually getting them involved in some kind of a direct conflict with the West. Now, if the Israelis were to attack Hezbollah, then obviously Iranians would become involved. But that is a kind of scenario that they wish to avoid. Kansari adds that the Houthi attacks dissuade Israel from going after Hezbollah and act as a very convenient diversion for the Iranians to direct attention away from more important areas to it, like the Lebanese border with Israel and Hezbollah bases, which are critical for the survival of Iranian regional policy. If Hezbollah were attacked and degraded by Israel, he says, this would mean the collapse of Iranian regional policy and proxies, whereas degrading the Houthis or Hamas does not affect overall Iranian policy to a great extent. Washington-based Gulf analyst Theodore Karasik tells VOA that U.S. and British attacks on the Houthis are clearly intended to degrade their military capabilities. These strikes are important and meant to degrade the capacity of the Houthis who are being backed by Iran. And that evidence is undeniable. They are clearly linked. Consequently, such activity is going to continue to have an impact because of the back and forth and escalation processes. Karasik also insists that there is diplomatic wrangling taking place behind the scenes through various negotiating channels between key Gulf states with lots of what he calls wheeling and dealing. 
Yemeni analyst Fawaz Nasser, however, disagrees, telling Arab media that the Saudi-supported Yemeni government based in Aden, which opposes the Houthis, stresses that the U.S. and British attacks on the Houthis will have no effect whatsoever unless the Houthis are dislodged from territories that they control, including key parts of Yemen's Red Sea coastline. Meanwhile, as many Western ships and cargo vessels change course away from the Red Sea and Suez Canal for the longer Horn of Africa route, Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi met with officials with the French government shipping authority to try to reassure Western shippers that the Suez Canal is safe. Edward Uranian, VOA News, Cairo. The Biden administration is expected to soon announce plans to redesignate the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels as specially designated global terrorists. That's according to two people familiar with the White House decision and a U.S. official. The three people familiar with the decision were not authorized to comment and requested anonymity to discuss the matter ahead of the expected formal announcement. The Red Sea attacks have already caused significant disruptions to global trade. Jake Sullivan says it's not just an American problem. This needs to be an all-hands-on-deck effort. Saying at the World Economic Forum, the U.S., its allies, and those with influence on Iran and other Middle East countries must send a clear signal. That the entire world rejects wholesale uh, the idea that a group like the Houthis can basically hijack the world as they are doing. The U.S. launched a new strike on the rebels today, the third in recent days. Knocking out four ballistic missiles that we believe were prepped and ready to be launched. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says the U.S. is not looking for a new war, but will keep protecting Red Sea mariners. Sagar Magani, Washington. Following these other stories from around the world, the Biden administration welcomed an announcement by Qatar that it had reached an agreement to deliver medicine to hostages held in Gaza by Hamas. This according to National Council spokesperson Adrian Watson on Tuesday. France will deliver to Ukraine a new batch of about 40 scalp long-range cruise missiles, as well as hundreds of bombs as Kiev fights the Russian invasion, President Emmanuel Macron said Tuesday that Europe's priority must be to not let Russia win. Sudan's army-aligned government on Tuesday suspended ties with the East African bloc IGAD, accusing it of violating the country's sovereignty by inviting rival paramilitary chief Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo to a summit in Uganda on Thursday, which he accepted. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has called for his country's constitution to be changed so that South Korea is seen as its primary foe and invariable principal enemy. North Korea's state-run television, KRT, on Tuesday released a video of leader Kim Jong-un calling South Korea the most hostile state and warning that his country did not intend to avoid war should it happen. Adding, in the event of war, South Korea would be destroyed and the U.S. would suffer an unimaginably crushing defeat. 
The video was released as North Korean Foreign Minister Choi Sang-hui said during a visit to Moscow that ties with Russia were developing in line with plans of the two countries' leaders, a deepening of a relationship that the United States and its allies view with concern. VOA's Steve Miller spoke with RAND Corporation adjunct international defense researcher Bruce Bennett to discuss these developments and implications for the region. So, Bruce, I guess where I want to start our conversation off with, is this, you know, the status quo for the North and nothing new, or is this a shift in policy from Pyongyang? Oh, this is, this is really a major shift in policy. The uh, North Koreans, a number of the government documents had made unification a fundamental role of the North Korean government. Uh, the fact that they have now backed away from it um, is, is a major change. And I say backed away from it because we have to be careful. Kim hasn't said he, that he's uh, disinterested in dominating the peninsula. He remains interested in being the dominant power on the peninsula and being able to tell South Korea what to do. But he's no longer talking about a peaceful unification, claiming that such a thing isn't possible. So so moving forward, given that the United States has a large military presence on the peninsula, you know, whether it be Osan or Pyontech or, or other areas, you know, what do you see as potential, you know, areas of concern given that North Korea and Kim Jong-un and, and different aspects of the North Korean government always criticize either flyovers or, or joint military exercises. I think we do those things to illustrate to North Korea that uh, it's not in a position to put major coercive pressure on South Korea. The North would like to be in a position to tell South Korea what to do. Uh, and uh, we're trying to emphasize that Kim, in violating so many UN sanctions and in being such a rogue that uh, we're just not going to allow him to, as a rogue, develop military capabilities which are going to allow him to dominate the South and, and or to put pressure on us. And one last question. What do you see as potential uh, things to watch for in terms of the region? Because, you know, the, the North Korean foreign minister is, is in Moscow now. Uh, Japan has also raised concerns as North Korea continues its missile tests. You know, what, what are you keeping a close eye on? Well, I think the one thing that we tend to miss is the fact that North Korea continues to produce nuclear weapons. And in fact, North the Kim Jong-un is claiming that he was going to exponentially increase that production. So we need to be concerned about that production. We need to be concerned about his development and testing of ICBMs. I think ultimately one of his objectives is to put the U.S. in a position where he can try to influence us or even coerce us uh, with an ICBM capability that uh, that could be fairly daunting for the U.S. That was Rand Corporation's Bruce Bennett speaking with VOA's Steve Miller. <music> VOA 
Broadway's International Edition continues. I'm Scott Walterman. Catholic bishops in Malawi have joined other African bishops defying the recent Vatican declaration allowing the blessing of same-sex unions. Chimwenwe Patata has more from the capital, Longwe. Malawi is a majority Christian country dominated by Roman Catholics who make up about 20% of the Christian community according to a 2018 population census. Many Catholics, including Catholic Church leadership, say they are struggling to follow through with their mid-December announcement by the Vatican permitting priests to bless same-sex unions. The Reverend Valeriano Mtsega, Secretary General of the Episcopal Conference of Malawi, made up of the country's Catholic bishops, said the churches for now are still prohibiting same-sex blessings. We have moral values to protect and cultural values as well, which have to go in tandem with the teaching of the church. So it's not being inflexible or not being uh, rigid. It is passed in nature. And so it can be taken on board or not be taken on board. So we have chosen not to take it wholesomely that uh, we have to bless people's same-sex union. Some Catholic residents such as Christopher Lan of Lilongwe, Malawi's capital, also say they can't support same-sex blessings. My stand is a big no to, to same-sex marriages. They're saying two things at once. Teaching says um, marriage between a male and female. Several other Catholic churches in Africa including those in Nigeria and Kenya, have also rejected the Vatican declaration. But despite that, some in the LGBTQI community who asked to remain anonymous due to security fears are hopeful and say they are eagerly waiting for the blessings. In a country like Malawi, I know it's really going to take uh, some time. If given a chance, I would go for it. But so much to say that I, I, I really don't see that happening uh, the soonest uh, in, in African countries. The declaration has not only sparked debate among Christians, but also within human rights borders. Wonderful Kuche, chairperson of the rights advocacy group Humanist Malawi, thinks the position by African churches like Malawi will likely change. That's uh, an idea that is going to be settling down among uh, uh, people uh, in the country, uh, not just the uh, Catholic uh, festivals. So in the coming years, we can see uh, a change of uh, stance uh, by some of the members or even the leaders. Changing minds may not be easy. In July 2023, religious leaders led street protests against homosexuality which currently is a criminal offense within a maximum sentence of 14 years imprisonment. Pope Francis, in the days after the declaration, acknowledged the controversy and encouraged people to embrace change. Chimwe Barata, VOA News, Lilongwe, Malawi. And finally, he's an unlikely refugee from the war in Ukraine. A rare Asiatic black bear has arrived at his new home in Scotland. He spent a good chunk of the morning exploring, walking around, um, kind of getting his bearings. That's Adam Welsh, head of education at Five Sister Zoo. The bear, named Yampil, was named after a village in the Donetsk region where he was one of the few survivors found by Ukrainian troops in the remains of a bombed-out private zoo. Almost all the other animals had died of hunger or were hit by bullets. 
He was first moved to Kiev and then shipped to Poland and spent the past seven months at an animal rescue in Belgium. It must have been a tiring journey for him um, coming up from, from Belgium, 24 hours, um, you know, journeying up to us here in Scotland. So he spent a lot of the weekend relaxing. The keepers that have been working with him over the weekend, um, when they've been going in to carry out work, he's, he's been alert, he's been awake, um, but he's been choosing to stay indoors the majority of the time the last, the last couple of days. But that's understandable as well because it is incredible incredibly cold. It's a first for the zoo. So we've been involved in quite a lot of rescue work in the past. Um, so we've provided permanent homes for European brown bears that have been rescued, for lions that have been rescued as well. But Yampel is the first rescue animal from a war zone that, that we've worked with. The Asiatic black bear is listed on the International Union for Conservation of Nature's red list of threatened species as vulnerable to extinction in the wild, where it can be found in Central and Southern Asia, Russia, and Japan. It's known for the distinctive white crescent patch on its chest that gives it the nickname Moon Bear. It can live for up to 30 years in zoos. So, after everything he's been through, how's he doing? We weren't entirely sure if he'd be kind of experiencing something similar to, to like the PTSD, but he does seem to be, from what I saw anyway, when he arrived, he seems to be quite confident or a little bit more confident than we maybe initially expected. And he, he seems to be kind of taking like a duck to water up there. He's, he's doing really, really well, um, which is a really positive thing for us to see. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of everyone at VOA, thank you so much for joining us. For pictures, stories, videos, and more, follow VOA News on your favorite social media platform and online at voanews.com. In Washington, I'm Scott Walterman. An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The swath of destabilizing activity supported or executed by Iran in the Middle East and beyond is wide. It encompasses attacks by Iran's proxies, the Houthis, against commercial shipping in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden, as well as the monitoring and intelligence Iran itself provides the Houthis for targeting ships. The horrific October 7th assault on Israeli civilians by Iran's proxy Hamas, launching drones and other weapons across the Lebanon border into northern Israel by Iran-supported Hezbollah, drone and missile attacks on U.S. counter-ISIS forces in Iraq and Syria by Iran-backed militias, and Iran's drones to Russia that kill Ukrainian civilians. Now the United States is concerned that Iran is also considering expanding its aid to Russia's unjustified assault on Ukraine by providing Moscow with close-range ballistic missiles. 
U.S. National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications John Kirby noted that while the United States does not believe Iran has delivered the missiles to Russia yet, the two are in actively advancing negotiations. In September of 2023, Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, hosted Russian Defense Minister Shoigu in Iran and showcased its Ababil close-range ballistic missile and other missile systems. This event marked the first public display of ballistic missiles to a senior Russian official visiting Iran since February 2022. More recently, in mid-December, the IRGC Aerospace Force deployed multiple ballistic missile and missile support systems to a training area inside Iran for display to a visiting Russian delegation. We assess that Russia intends to purchase missile systems from Iran. Coordinator Kirby said that due to U.S. sanctions and export controls, Russia has become increasingly isolated on the world stage and has been forced to look to like-minded states for military equipment. Those states include Korea and Iran. In response, he said, the United States and its allies will raise the issue of these arms deals at the U.N. Security Council. The United States will also impose additional sanctions against those facilitating such deals and will publicly expose them to prevent countries from aiding Russia's war machine in secret. As President Joe Biden has said, the United States continues to work with our partners to address Iran's destabilizing activities that threaten regional and global security. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 